Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. So I figured since it's 13 years and it's an unlucky number, we would do every superstition possible. No, I'm totally kidding. Listen, I was 35 years young when I learned something I never knew before in my entire life. I was at a birthday party, and at the birthday party was the weather forecaster for Channel 2 News. You know what I'm talking about for West Channel 2? And so what do you do when you meet the weather forecaster? You talk about the weather. And so he began to explain to me, he said, listen, did you know that when I make a weather forecast for the day that it's going to rain? He said, when I tell you, hey, there's an 80% chance of rain, there's a 50% chance of rain, there's a 30% chance of rain. He said, what most people do is they go outside and they look up at the clouds and and they decide like, well, he said it's only a 40% chance of rain today. I don't think it's going to happen. He goes, they're playing odds. He goes, when I give you the forecast, I'm not playing with odds. We have science. We know what's happening. We've been watching the fronts. He goes, when I give you a percentage, it's the percentage of the city that will receive rain on this day. So if it's 80% chance of rain, 80% of Orlando will get rain. If it's 20%, only 20% of Orlando will get rain, whatever area that cloud coverage is over. It's not odds. He says, listen, it's not if it will rain, it's where it's going to rain. It's fitting because we're talking about a story today that involves a lot of rain. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. It's the story of Noah, and it may be, outside of Jesus, the most famous story in the Bible ever told. You learn about it as a child. You read it as an adult, and you have lots of questions every time you read this story. Now, I will tell you, I don't have time to read all three chapters, all four chapters, really, about this story. I encourage you this week to go read the entire story of Noah. If you're new, if you're watching new online for the very first time, this year in 2023, we are marching through the Bible. We will not hit every story in the Bible. We will not have every book of the Bible. We are marching through the scope of God's story beginning to end. And today we're in the story Noah. I will tell you that there's some things I will talk about tomorrow. We have a post-Sunday podcast. Johnny and I are doing every single week. You can go to iTunes. You can go to Spotify. You can download that. There will be extra content. I will take you deeper into the story. I will share some things that I don't have time to share with you today. So make sure this week you subscribe and you go there. If you're taking notes, there's a QR code on the screen. But what I want you to know about this story is that at first glance, it is completely harmless. Most of the pictures that you've seen about the story of Noah, there's a boat, there's a nice little rainbow behind it, there are nice cute animals, and there's a smiling guy with a white beard. The story seems harmless. When you open up the story and you dive into it, what you begin to see is that the story is actually a story about the reality that there was almost near extinction of life on earth. And so the story's heavy, and the story has a lot in it. And how we approach the story today is going to matter. We've been telling you that how you approach the Bible matters. Many of us approach the Bible with our own agendas. We have our own thoughts. We're looking for things. And what we want you to know when it comes to God's story, God's word, the Bible, is that it's less about what you want from God, and it has way more to do with what God wants from you. 
Whenever you open the stories in the Bible, it is less about what you want God to do on your behalf, and it is way more about what God wants from you. So when it comes to the story of Noah, it is less about the flood and is way more about the cause of the flood. It is less about all the rain that falls on earth, and it is more about the result of the rain God sent. Today, I want to give you four perspectives on the story, maybe new angles, maybe things you've never seen, you've never thought about, you've never leaned into, you've never really unwrapped and discovered about the story of Noah. The first perspective when you open the story of Noah is the perspective of sin. It says in the very beginning of the story, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord saw that there was the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now listen to this, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, meaning it just kept going all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. This is how you're introduced to the story. Now, if we back up into God's story, Genesis 1 and 2, God creates, and he creates good things. He says, this is good, this is good, this is very good. He creates humanity, and he says, listen, I'm giving you all the good things that I've created. They're a gift. They're yours. Everything but one. You can have all of it, just not that one thing. Genesis 3, what do we find? Eve has a conversation with the serpent. And we learn you do not have conversations with the enemy. You need to be talking with God. Sin enters into the world. Genesis chapter 4, Chad did a great job last week. There's already murder. Cain kills his brother Abel. And God comes to Cain and he says this. He says, listen, I see anger in you. Don't do it. Lord over it. Stop it. Hey, before you get to that next step, let's back up and let's check ourselves. And Cain leans into it and he commits murder. And now we're 10 generations past that. And the world is so wicked and so evil and so continuing in its sin that God says, I regret that I even created it. And it grieves his heart. What we have to understand when we follow Jesus, when we place ourselves in God's story, is that if we are unable to recognize sin, we will never recognize our need for a savior. Until you recognize sin in your life and what sin does in your relationship with God, you will never understand why you need Jesus in your life. Let me tell you something. Sin is full of destruction. Sin is always growing. Sin is individual, it's communal, it's systemic within society. Sin is trying to find its way into your life because it's real and it has consequences. Adam and Eve choose to do the one thing God said don't do. And it tells us within the story that they're removed from the garden that God had placed them in. Cain kills his brother. And if you read at the end of chapter four, Cain is removed from the presence of God. Now, in the days of Noah, the people are full of sin and God says, I will remove you from the earth. And so in Genesis chapter six, verse seven, the Lord said this, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. 
Now, when you open up the story and you read this, you go, what type of God is this? What you need to do is circle the words that it grieved him, that he was saddened, that he's sorry. Because what it tells you is that God is not in some far off place. God is very near and he is close and he is watching every choice and decision you make. And the choices you make actually have an effect on him. And they grieve him. And he's saddened by them. And he's sorry that some of this stuff is even taking place. There's the perspective of sin and there's the perspective of obedience. It tells us when we're introduced to Noah in chapter six, verse eight, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Why out of everyone on the planet, the whole world at this point is morally corrupt. Why is it that Noah finds favor with God? Verse nine tells us. It says Noah was a righteous man. Noah was blameless in his generation among all his people. Noah walked with God. What the story begins to tell us is that Noah was the exception to all the wickedness around us. My entire life, because I've been a pastor, people come to me and they say, Pastor Tim, you don't understand because you're a pastor and you're never tempted. I guess that's what they think in their head. (laughs) You don't know what it's like to be tempted. Pastor Tim, you don't know what it's like when everyone else is doing it and I can't help but join them. Pastor Tim, you don't know what it's like when everyone's going there and participating and and, and I just can't. I mean, nobody's perfect, Pastor Tim, right? The Bible, God's story begins to give us different pictures And it gives us a deeper understanding. See, some of you don't even know what righteous means. You just know what self-righteous means because you like to toss it back at people. But righteous means this. One who lives in accordance with the standards of morality that God sets. So those who live righteous, by the way, for every Jewish family, their prayer for their children or not, they would grow up and be doctors and nurses and teachers and all these things, all great. Their prayer was, my children will grow up and be righteous. This is what I desire above all else for my children. And to be righteous was to live in accordance with the standards of morality, listen to me, God sets. Not morality, the world sets. Not morality, the news sets. Not morality, Facebook sets. Not morality, the school sets. Morality, God sets. And if I want to be righteous, then I have to know God's word and God's instructions so that I can live my life according to the truths found there, not out here. And that's what made made Noah righteous. He said, I will live in accordance with God's moral standards, not the world's. He says he was blameless. The word blameless is one who lives by convictions, treats others fairly, and is not hypocritical in their faith. You say, well, I, I don't know if I can do those things. Well, you live by conviction when you understand the word of God and what he teaches us, and you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you to guide you and to convict you between right and wrong. I don't know who doesn't think or who wouldn't want to treat people fairly. And I think that all of us would say, and many of you many times have given up on church and distrusted the church because you say it's full of hypocrites. And what I always say is just find the people who actually care about their faith and look at them. Watch them because there's a bunch of them. 
that genuinely believe and follow this. And Noah did. And then it tells us that Noah walked with God. To walk with God in the scripture meant this. One who walks the path God has set for him while living in the instructions God sets before him. And so if you're here today and you say, I cannot be righteous, I cannot be blameless, I don't know how to walk with God, simply ask yourself, are you willing to live to the moral standards God sets? Are you willing to live by the convictions of God's word? Are you willing to take the path God has for you and to listen to his instructions set before you? If so, you can be righteous, blameless, and walk with God the same way Noah did. This is what the scriptures unveil to us. Noah was living in a corrupt world and he distanced himself. Is he perfect? No. The scriptures don't say that. As a matter of fact, in chapter 9, you'll find out he's not perfect. But he was obedient. And what God is looking for are obedient people. And sometimes it's just a few. Let me tell you this. Obedience is not just how fast you respond, but how long you are willing to stay in it. You will discover... If you read the story further, it took Noah somewhere around 120 years to build the ark. How many of you would take that long to obediently follow God? How many years would it take for you to look up and not see any rain clouds and begin to question and doubt God and go, why am I doing this? What's the purpose of this? When are you going to come through, God? I don't know if I'm going to keep walking this path, but Noah obediently followed God all the way through it. He is one who said, here I am. I will walk the other way. I will walk a different path. You say build an ark when everyone else is laughing at me. I don't care. I will trust you and I will trust you alone. That's why I tell people, we talked about last year, Romans 10. Romans 10, who will know? Who will hear? Unless someone says, I will preach, send me. I'll go. I tell people all the time, Erase all barriers for your obedience. I tell people, go get a passport if you don't have one. I say, why would I do that? Well, because Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. What if God calls you to go on a missions trip? What if he calls you to go to some other place? You're going to have this excuse. I don't have my passport. I'm not ready. (laughs) What if he just went ahead and got it and said, God, when you tap me, I'm ready to go. I'm eliminating barriers for obedience so that I can respond quickly, but I can stay in it faithfully when you're calling me. Listen, I don't know what it's like to build an ark. I'm not that good at building things. I don't know what it's like to face a flood. I do know what it's like to do something in the midst of people who doubt you, mock you, and laugh at you. In 2008, when we told our church in Atlanta we were coming to start this church, there were a bunch of people that came to us and they said, listen, we're in the middle of a recession we're living in Atlanta, Georgia. They said, there was no gas. My street was literally at the, at the end of a, of a gas station and we would walk out in the morning to see if the light was on to know if they even had gas. We had people in our church, we had construction workers that, that, that owned their companies that were coming to us and counseling and they were saying, I'm contemplating suicide. I said, why? They said, because if I'm not here, my life insurance policy will take care of my wife, my kids and my employees who I can't financially provide for. And so people came to us and they said, Do not leave and start a church right now. Don't do it. You have a job, you have insurance, you have a retirement. Just just wait. It's better for you, your kids. Don't do it. And especially don't go to Orlando because that's where churches kind of just roll in and roll out all the time. 
Like, stay where you are stable. Why would you do this? And all I knew that was that God was saying, go. And the fire was burning so deep inside that the more I said no to God, the more miserable I was. Because when you fight against God, you will end up in chaos. I didn't know that when we moved here that I would start this church out of Chad's house. We didn't have our own. We literally started this church living in someone else's house above their garage. I had no idea that it would take me cashing out all of my retirement just to financially be able to remove debt so that my family could get in a house so that we could continue this adventure. All I knew was that God was saying, go, go to Orlando and start a church where people could find a new beginning. I didn't know who would show up. I didn't know if anyone would come. I didn't know how long we'd be in that adventure. I just knew God said, go. I had lived in a house where my parents faithfully taught me to obey Jesus. And Noah was the same way. Genesis chapter six, verse 12, and God saw the earth and behold, listen, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. The third perspective and probably the most important because when you read that, some of you go, I don't know if I want anything to do with your religion, but that's the type of God you follow is the perspective of mercy. It's the most beautiful piece of the whole story. All of a sudden, God goes to Noah and he tells him in verse 14, make yourself an ark, build a boat. You got to imagine you're Noah and you're going, what are you talking about, God? You're asking me to build this giant boat. What am I building it for with all these rooms and, and for all these animals? Verse 17, for behold, this is why I asked you to build an ark. I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. That's an echo back to Genesis chapter two, where it says God breathes the breath of life. So every person that wakes up today has the breath of God living in them, whether they know it or not. Everything that is on earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark. He says, I select you and you're gonna do something that's gonna help me renew creation instead of, terminate creation. What we have to understand is this. God as a righteous judge can do whatever he wants to do. He gets that authority. He gets that power. He has every right to erase corruption from his creation. But God, instead of doing that, shows mercy to renew the world he created, not erase it. And it tells us in verse 22, Noah did this. He did all God commanded him. Listen to me. This little three-letter word, all, right there. My grandfather, I told you, was a pastor. And he used to say this all the time. I remember as a child, all means all, and that's all, all means. It means all. Remember that? (laughs) I got some friends here this morning. All. It says Noah did all, everything God asked of him. Every bit of it. And then this is where the mercy comes into play. Ready? Chapter seven, verse four, it says this. For in seven days, I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights. And every living thing that I've made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. Say, where is the mercy? Sending rain for 40 days and he's blotting out everything on the earth. It's in the very beginning, in seven days. Say, how's that mercy? 120 years to build the ark. That's a lot of time, right? 
it's a lot of time for people to change their heart and change their mind, right? And at the end of 120 years, God can say, listen, I'm sending the flood now. Instead, God says, wait, I'm going to wait seven more days. I'm going to give you seven more days to repent before I have to bring judgment. God always gives us a chance. But at some point, he has to bring his judgment. And so what we find in Ezekiel the prophet is the concept of God's heart. He says this, God tells Ezekiel, who's a prophet, to tell Israel, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It's not a joyful thing for me, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? He says, listen, you're making the choice to take a path that leads you to death. I am calling you back. I take no pleasure in this. Come back to the life I intended you to live. Please, O house of Israel. I'm reminded of of 2 Peter chapter 3. It says that the scoffers come, just like there were in the days of Noah. Scoffers and people laugh and make fun of, ha, 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 where's your God? No rain's here, 120 years. Where is he at? And they come to Peter, it says, and the scoffers come in the last days with their scoffing and mocking and laughing about our God and our Savior, following their own what? There's that word again at the beginning, sinful desires. And then Peter's response is this. He says, wait a second, I know God you don't. Let me talk about him for a second. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness. You know why? He's on his timetable, not yours. He's the creator of all things. He gets to do it how he wants. But he's patient towards you. Why is he patient towards you? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This word repent is a beautiful word that means to turn around from the way you are currently going. And it means I recognize that my sin is leading me away from God and I'm going to repent and return back to God. And so God gives all the people seven more days and they still reject it. And it tells us in verse 15, and Noah went into the ark and two and two of all flesh and which was there with the breath of life and those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him and circled his part and the Lord shut him in. Maybe you never paid attention to that. Maybe you never focused on that. Maybe you never saw that. Noah didn't close the ark door himself. Noah can't close the door of the ark. You know why? Only God can. Because only God has the power to save. And it is a beautiful reminder that Noah went in obediently and God closed the ark to keep him safely in. The Lord shut him in because he alone had the power to save. You must see the story through the perspective of mercy. You can read the details of the story. Some of you grew up in church, you know it. The waters came. Noah sends out a raven. He sends out a dove. Finally realizes the water's receding and they hit dry land. And the last perspective you need to enter into the story with is this the perspective of promise. The perspective of promise. 
It's the perspective of sin and its realness. It's the perspective of obedience and are you willing to follow. It's the perspective of mercy because that's the heart of God. And it's the perspective of promise because God does what he faithfully promises to do. And he has never, ever failed in that. And so in chapter 9, and God said this when Noah and his family came out of the ark. He said, this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. So he says, listen, this is for all of you, all future generations, not just for Noah and his family. This is for you here today. The promise I made then is the promise I'm keeping right now. He says, when I bring, a cloud, I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna put a rainbow in the sky. I'm gonna create this beautiful rainbow. And every time you see it, it is a reminder of the covenant I'm gonna make with you. And it is a promise that I will never, ever again flood the entire earth. I mean, some of us had some flooding just a few months back. Said, I will never flood the entire earth ever, ever again. God is faithful to do what he promises to do. In 1997, I interned at First Baptist Orlando. I had no idea 26 years ago, God was beginning to write the story of Genesis Church. In 2007, I stood at Waterford Lakes at Regal Theater I was here visiting. I was hanging out with some people. And I spoke these words. I said, someone needs to build a church in this area. It's booming. I had no idea that I was speaking the words God was calling me into. In 2008, I called Chad and I said, hey, what's the zip code for that movie theater? He said, why? I said, God's calling me to start a church in Orlando and I'd like to see about maybe holding church in there. Some of you think it's crazy. And we were like, listen, we don't care where we meet. Do we just want to come? Well, we called Regal. They said, there's a church meeting in here. So we followed God's plans and it took us to Timberlakes Elementary School. Four and a half years later, I get a call from Regal. Hey, the church that was in here has moved out. The contract is open. Would you want to move in? We were outgrowing the elementary school. So we accepted the invitation. I'm standing in there on the very first day of the second chapter of our church in a new location. And I'm preaching to all of our people. And while I'm preaching to our people, God is preaching to me. He says, hey, Remember back in 2007, seven years ago when you stood outside this place? Remember in 2008 when you made a phone call about this place? And remember when you showed up and you doubted if this would ever work and if people would even show up? He said, remember the story of Moses at the burning bush when he told Moses, if you go lead my people out of Egypt, I will bring you right back to this very place. And when you stand in this place, you will know that I did what I promised I would do. While I'm preaching, God says, look where you're standing. And look out at the people. And the very place that you spoke in is where I've brought you to today. I'm faithful to complete my promises. Faithful to hold my covenant with my people. I will do what I promise I will do. I remember that conversation with the newsman. Because as we talked, this is what he said. He goes, you know what's so funny to me? He said, when I run into people all the time, he goes, they'll come up to me and they'll say, hey, you forecasted like it really wasn't going to rain today. 
And then I went shopping and I got drenched. And he said, I think it's funny because I told you the rain was coming. He said, but you decided to play the odds. You went out and thought, well, 30% chance of rain. I don't know if I need my umbrella. I don't know if I need a rain jacket today. I think I'm good. He said, but I told you. I told you the rain was coming. And it made me think about this question. How many times does God's word warn us that there's a storm coming because of your choices. And we keep going like nothing's going to happen. God makes covenants and promises. And in Matthew chapter 24, his son Jesus talks about one of them. He says, I promise I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm taking all my people, the ones who sought righteousness, to walk blameless, and chose to walk with me. And Jesus says, hey, let me tell you a story. As were the days of Noah, let's go back there for a minute. So will be the coming of the Son of Man when I return. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving a marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, 120 years, seven extra days, and they're just having a good old party. I will do whatever I want to do because this is what I'm choosing. And they were unaware. They were unaware until the flood came and it swept them all away. And so Jesus says, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. When I come back, I will come back for my people and all those who have spent their entire life rejecting me, I will take away. When you open up the story of God, so many people, I'm so excited to go through the story of God. It calls you to align yourself with God. What the story of God tells us is that there is God and only one God and there is an enemy of God. What the story of God reveals to us is that there's a right way to live in God's creation and there's a sinful way. What the story of God reveals to us is that God has a created order in which he wants things to play out. What the story of God tells us is that God makes promises and covenants he keeps. What the story of Noah tells us is that God created the rainbow. He put it as a promise to his people. It is not for someone else to claim for their agenda. It belongs to the one who created it. What the story of God tells us is that you can choose to live life the way you create and you will end up apart from God. Amen. Or you can choose to live life the way God intended and be invited into his never-ending story. The story of Noah and the covenant of rainbow is a reminder that when you choose to obey the story of God, when you choose to obey the story of God, your storm will pass and God's faithfulness will prevail. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Maybe you're watching online for the very first time. Maybe you're a guest here today. God knew you would be here just like God knew that in 1997 when I came to intern, he would be calling me back to the city to start a church. God has a plan for your life and he wanted you here today to hear this message, this story. 
so that you wouldn't choose to be like the world around Noah, ignoring the voice and the path of God for their own pleasure. And you would pay attention to Noah and ask yourself, am I willing to obediently surrender my life to God? See, God promises all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart and you give your life over to him, surrender that, you will discover that he is the best life possible waiting for you. Filled with promises and faithfulness through the highs and lows of this life so that when he returns, you can spend all eternity with him. If you'd like to know more about that, I'll be available after the service. You can grab any staff member, any team member around this church. We'd love to talk with you. Father, today, we declare your faithfulness. God, in a world that continually seeks evil, you continue to show mercy and grace. And you give us chances when we don't deserve them. But God, we know you're a righteous God and a God of justice. And sin doesn't just grieve your heart, it angers your heart because it doesn't belong in your creation. And therefore, one day you will return to wipe out sin, evil, and wickedness. And you will look for those whose hearts belong to you. And you will gather them together for all eternity. God, we thank you for that truth and that promise. We thank you for your faithfulness to this church for 13 years. Keep writing your story. It is not mine. It is not ours. It is yours and yours alone. In your name I pray, amen.